Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Latin American History Podcast, episode 36, Under New Management. Before continuing with the conquest of the Americas, we have to return to Iberia to bring ourselves up to date with events over there. We have looked at Spanish exploration and conquest up until around the 1520s, but during this time, important things were happening back home. We won't be doing this regularly. But, when especially significant things happen, which affect Latin America, we will, as it will help to explain events in Latin America better. The events of today's episode were nothing if not significant. Now the subject of today's episode is pretty complex, and there's a lot of politics involving various family members, medieval succession laws, and European geopolitics. I will try my best to make it all as easy to understand as possible. I've hinted at changes in Iberia in previous episodes. I've mentioned that Isabella died in the early 1500s, and that Ferdinand was occasionally distracted from making decisions during this period. This episode will explain why. I also need to point out that in previous episodes, I have been getting Isabella's name wrong. Relying mainly on English sources, which spell her name with a double L, I assumed that it was the same in Spanish, and that it must be pronounced Isabella, not Isabella. It turns out that this was incorrect. So, sorry about that. Anyway, Ferdinand and Isabella had been extraordinarily successful monarchs. It's true that both Aragon and Castile had already been countries on the up, thanks to the Reconquista and Aragon's possessions in the Mediterranean. But these two, they united them into one powerful unit with their marriage. They managed to create stability throughout their reign, and of course, they began the Spanish overseas empire. There was one area, however, 
why they failed to do what their countries needed. Anyone who has studied any medieval history will probably know that producing an heir is essential to future security. It's important for personal reasons. Monarchs wanted to keep their titles in the family, but it was often also important for the stability of the realm as a whole. Uncertainty about succession could lead to competing claims and messy civil wars. In Ferdinand and Isabella's case, there was an added aspect. Their kingdoms were effectively united by their marriage, but they were not technically the same thing yet. I have been referring to their holdings as Spain in previous episodes as a shorthand, but Ferdinand was still king of Aragon, and Isabella was still queen of Castile. There was no Spain yet. A male would be heir to both kingdoms, and would lay the groundwork for an official union, but no such heir survived them. In total, they had five children and one stillborn baby, so it's not like they didn't try their best, but things didn't work out. Four of the five were female, and succession laws at the time did not favour women. They were married off to various nobles across Europe, and the eldest, also named Isabella, died at a relatively young age. Their son Juan was married to a Habsburg princess, but he too died of suspected tuberculosis, just before the younger Isabella at age 19. These family tragedies were said to have hit Isabella hard. It's been suggested that they contributed to her own death, as she never quite recovered from them emotionally. She died in November 1504, aged 54. When Isabella died, she was succeeded to the throne of Castile by Juana, the eldest surviving daughter. Ferdinand was still king of Aragon, although, assuming he did not produce a male child in the future, she was heir to his kingdom as well. If the kingdoms could be consolidated in her name, they could be held together, although, as she was female, they would pass out of Isabella and Ferdinand's family and into that of her husband, This is because any son they had would be a Habsburg. There was a problem, though. Many medieval nobles had nicknames that summed up how they were seen at the time, or later by chroniclers. Juana's was Juana the Mad. The story goes that she was insane, and in fact Ferdinand was forced to rule Castile as her regent for much of the rest of his lifetime. He was faced with a problem. At present, the union of the kingdoms his and Isabella's crowning achievement, would be maintained, but who could say how it would fare under Juana the Mad? Alternatively, he could look out for Aragon by remarrying. If he could produce a male child, the kingdoms would be split, but Juana would be kept out of his original homeland. He chose the latter option, marrying Germaine de Foix, but they did not produce any surviving male children. Now the problem with history podcasting is that you need to create a coherent narrative. Ideally, you tell a story from beginning to end, nice and clearly. History is never that simple, however. The more it is examined, the more questions it throws up, and the more doubts start to creep into the story. It can be hard to judge when to stop and examine things, when to look at alternative interpretations. Every time you do, you break up the flow and make things messy. But, at the same time, 
Doing so can shed light on events and sometimes make the story richer. It would be convenient for me to run with the Juana the Mad story as is, but on this occasion doing so would have been a dereliction of duty. You see, most historians who focus on this period now think that she was not mad at all. Instead, she was a victim of Ferdinand's politicking against her husband, a man who she did not actually choose, by the way. Ferdinand did, to add insult to injury. We haven't really delved too deeply into Ferdinand's character so far. Considering the moral and ethical standards of the time, I guess I had a vaguely warm feeling towards him. His actions now, however, show that actually he was very politically motivated and perhaps wasn't a very nice person. Juana was born in 1479 and was apparently a very clever child. As she grew up, the story goes that she turned this intellect towards examining Christianity and that she developed some views on the subject which did not chime with the accepted wisdom. This was the time of the Inquisition in Spain, which incidentally we will deal with in an episode at some point, but as it would not take hold in Latin America until much later than in Spain, we will leave it for now. It's hard to get to the bottom of this. The heresy charges may well have been part of the propaganda campaign against her. It didn't take much of a deviation from the accepted line to draw condemnation from the religious authorities, however. Either way, by our modern standards, she had not really done anything wrong. Either she was unfairly accused of heresy to discredit her, or she simply wasn't fervent enough, something which is perfectly acceptable today. Juana was never expected to inherit the thrones, and her marriage was political. I have already mentioned that the expected heir, her brother, married a Habsburg, and this was done to create an alliance with this powerful family. To really secure that alliance, she too was married to a Habsburg. The plan was that she would be sent off to live in quiet comfort over in their lands, while the Habsburg princess, who married her brother, would do the same in Madrid and produce children who would keep the Trastamara name of Ferdinand and Isabella. And yes, they both had that name, even before marriage, because they were second cousins. Now, however, the situation was quite different. Juana would inherit the thrones, and her children would take the name of the Habsburg man who had married her. You can see how this unexpected turn of events could have bothered Ferdinand, especially given the attitudes of the time. Politics were more important than feelings. So we have some idea of the incentives external to her, that people might have had to exaggerate Juana's madness. But is there any internal evidence to demonstrate mental instability? As you can probably imagine, mental health diagnoses at the time were extremely unsophisticated. You were either mad or you were not, as far as they were concerned, or perhaps you were possessed. To be honest, our understanding of mental health is still growing, You could almost say the same, minus the possessed part, about things just a hundred years ago. It's interesting that Juana was considered an intelligent child, and that her problems only seem to have emerged in her twenties. This does happen. Today it does appear that these problems do often come out at that age. This age, for her, also coincided with her potentially inheriting Castile, however, 
so it does seem a little suspicious that her problems would emerge at that moment. For this reason, it's hard to draw any definitive conclusions either way from this. As we shall see, she also suffered greatly once she was deemed to be insane, to the point where, if she wasn't before, then it would be easy to actually develop problems thanks to her treatment. When Juana and her Habsburg husband Philip inherited Castile on Isabella's death, they were based in today's Belgium, and this was part of the Habsburg lands. Philip resented Ferdinand's interference into what should now be his kingdom through his wife, which Ferdinand justified by arguing that Juana's madness made her incapable of ruling. Philip decided to travel to Castile to put a stop to it. Although this has no real bearing on our story, an interesting sidetrack here is that he and Juana were caught in a storm and they ended up shipwrecked in England. Here they were declared guests of the king, but they were in effect held hostage for six weeks while he forced them to sign various defence and trade agreements. With all that out the way, they were allowed to continue on to Spain. Ferdinand seemed determined to defend his right to Castile. France and the Holy Roman Empire were the two largest powers at the time, and as the Habsburgs controlled the empire, Ferdinand decided to cosy up to France to give himself some clout. Marrying Germain de Foix was part of this strategy. It was a tense moment, and what would happen was unclear, but when Philip and Juana arrived, the Castilian nobility took their side, and Ferdinand agreed to meet Philip to come to terms. They came up with a deal, and Ferdinand agreed that he had no place in Castilian politics. Philip and Juana would rule Castile completely independently. As the Spanish Empire in the Americas had been a joint venture between Isabella of Castile and Ferdinand of Aragon, this treaty also cleared up who got to keep the Americas. It went to Philip, Juana and Castile. The matter seemed to be settled, but it quickly became unsettled when just a couple of months later Philip died. Typhoid fever was cited as the cause of death, but many at the time believed that he had been poisoned. Ferdinand quickly reanimated the accusations of madness against Juana and managed to get a council set up to rule Castile as she was supposedly incapable. This was soon upgraded to full control by Ferdinand. Juana was imprisoned, allegedly for her own good. In the end, Ferdinand's schemes would come to nothing, and Juana's son would inherit both Castile and Aragon when Ferdinand died on the 23rd of January, 1516. While he had stripped her of all power, she had still been the Castilian queen, and so her son was the heir to the kingdom. If Ferdinand had managed to have a child with Germain de Foix, this child would have inherited Aragon, and the two kingdoms would have been split. Who knows what different direction that would have sent history. The couple failed to do so, however, having only one son who died within a few hours of birth. In a last unfair blow, Juana's son Charles chose not to release her from her imprisonment. They were supposed to rule together as co-rulers until her death, despite the fact that he would have been inheriting full control on this event. He decided that he wanted it all now. It didn't matter if she was his mother. 
If she hadn't been mad before, the hardships of her life and the justified paranoia and anguish caused by the constant betrayals she had suffered from close family members, it seems to have cracked her, and she is said to have become unstable and physically unwell. Of course, this could just be more propaganda against her, this time from Charles, but I think that most would struggle after living through what she had. She wouldn't die until 1555, living to the age of 75, but her role in the Spanish political world was now over. In all of this, it was Ferdinand's death that was the event which had the most importance for the future of Spain. It led to a monumental shift in European geopolitics and changed the trajectory of both Spain and its colonies in Latin America. Charles was now co-ruler of Castile with his mother, and sole ruler in all but name, and he had just inherited Aragon, ensuring that the two kingdoms would remain united. Today Spain had fallen out of the hands of the Trastamara family, and into those of the Habsburgs. They would rule the Spanish Empire for another 184 years, and oversee its rise from a few promising colonies to an expanse that governed the bulk of the Americas. Now I've talked about the Habsburgs a bit so far in this episode, but I haven't properly introduced them. You might already know a bit about them. At this point they were already one of the most powerful families in Europe, and they would arguably retain this description until the 20th century. Franz Ferdinand, the Austrian Archduke whose assassination sparked World War I, he was a Habsburg. They had their origins in a small Swiss feudal landholding back in the 10th century. In the years that followed, they managed to play the medieval marriage system with extreme skill and inherit progressively larger and more important holdings. In 1282, the Duchy of Austria came into their holdings and this would become their main base of operations, or at least that of the most powerful branch of the family. It would remain so until well, Franz Ferdinand. In 1414, one of their number was elected Holy Roman Empire, possibly the most powerful position in Europe at the time. They now ruled vast stretches of the continent directly, and most of Central Europe indirectly as emperor. Even more land came under their control when the family ruling Burgundy, a large area consisting of parts of eastern France, western Germany and the Low Countries, died out without an heir. Some of the Burgundian land was split off and became part of France, but much of it fell into Habsburg hands, thanks to more clever marriage-making. The Habsburg, in particular, who took control of this territory, was Charles's grandfather. This meant that it was passed to Juana's husband Philip, and that, when he died... Young Charles inherited it at age five. Now with its accession, he was not only Charles V of the Holy Roman Empire, as most historians not focused on Spain know him, but also Carlos I of Spain, or I should say Carlos I of Castile and Aragon. In total, he ruled Castile and Aragon, today's Netherlands and Belgium, which were among the richest places in Europe at the time part of today's eastern France and western Germany. Luxembourg and the powerful Duchy of Austria, which at the time also extended into southern Germany. On top of that, he was in charge of the Holy Roman Empire, 
He ruled southern Italy and Sardinia, as well as a chunk of northern Italy, as these were Aragonese possessions. He also had a few scraps of territory in North Africa that Castile had won after completing the Reconquista. And he had control of Spain's colonies in the New World. This was a gargantuan amalgamation of territory, and it made much of the rest of Europe scared and hostile. He would spend much of his rule fighting other powers in the Old World, and much of the riches of Latin American colonies would disappear into these wars rather than either benefiting the Americas or Spain itself. This would be a source of friction in Spain, as its people had little interest in the politics of Central Europe, and they resented the taxes he imposed on them to fight wars. Soon after coming to power, he had to fight off a rebellion known as the Revolt of the Comuneros. This and the larger tensions created as he tried to manage the array of interests of his varied subjects is a fascinating part of history, but one which I cannot go into here, as it's too far away from the Latin American history, which we cover. Charles also had to deal with the Protestant Reformation. Now, one of the constant complaints about Charles from within Spain was that he was not Spanish enough. In fact, beyond using it to fund his other activities, he was not interested in it enough for many of the Spaniards. Some historians challenge this interpretation, and there was definitely one way in which his world view aligned closely with that of Spain. This was his fierce defence of Catholicism. He was very Catholic, and as the Reformation had its origin within his Holy Roman Empire, and this was where it really took hold, he fought against it with everything he could muster. Much of what he could muster came from Spain and its colonies. This was a period of enormous upheaval in Europe, with peasant uprising, Protestant offshoots like the Anabaptists taking over whole cities, and the religious tensions would not be resolved for a long time. A century later, it would culminate in the Thirty Years' War, which is thought to be one of the bloodiest in human history, in terms of the proportion of the population who died. All this meant that Charles was often outside of Spain and distracted from its empire's achievements. This was despite the fact that it was undergoing its fastest and greatest expansion during these years. So this is the background to the events in Latin America, which we will be covering in upcoming episodes. There will be five Habsburg kings of Spain. However, most of these will not need examining in detail for our purposes. That said, the rule of Charles's son Philip will have an important impact on Latin America, so we will be back in Europe in the not-too-distant future. Before then, however, we have a lot to get through. Next time, we begin the conquest of Mexico and the Aztec. Now, this is obviously one of the most famous and major events in Latin American history, and it's something that I want to do properly. It's going to take several episodes to do it, and it's going to take a lot of reading. I've already started researching and planning these episodes. But, if the podcast goes silent for a few weeks, it's because I'm putting some extra time in to try and make sure that it's as good as I can make it. That said, I may mean to get the first episode out in two weeks' time, so hopefully I make that. 
We'll see. Anyway, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website www.maxargent.com slash the history of Latin America and that's spelt M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T If you have any comments or questions feel free to get in contact at historyoflatinamericapodcast at gmail.com You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast The Twitter handle is at History Latin AM and if you've liked the show you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes alternatively if you visit the website you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos most of these are my own taken during my time in Latin America all these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop you can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo that's spelt www.etsy.com slash m-a-x-s-e-r-j-e-a-n-t photo thanks for listening enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at betmgm sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with betmgm you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features live betting options and the best daily promotions in the business and with betmgm at your fingertips every play and every game matters more than ever place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.